question for you. Uh, have uh, you ever diagnosed yourself with one of those online medical uh, sites? I, I saw a cartoon uh, this week with this, this woman slumped over her computer in despair, and it said, never ask Google for medical advice. I went from a mild headache to clinically dead in three clicks. You know? <laughs> But, uh, you know, it's, it's amazing. If you start reading uh, one of those medical sites, you'll, you'll quickly discover that you have all the symptoms that perfectly match some, you know, dreaded disease. I mean, you already have symptoms. That's why you would go to a site like that to start with, right? And, and then they're going to match up. I'll, I'll save you some time searching on Google. We'll just try this out this morning. Does anybody in here have, you know, like a mild pain or ache and arm or leg, no discernible reason, it just seems to be there? Do you have any small spots or patches of discoloration on your skin? Maybe it's dry and just feels itchy and a little flaky or scaly, or, or perhaps the skin's maybe a little thicker and, and, and dry, uh, feels almost um, uh, rubbery a little bit, or maybe it's thinner, you know, uh, and a little tenderer around that area, maybe a little red. If anybody have anything like that going on? I, I, I hate to tell you, man, you, you got the, the early stages of leprosy. Um, it's, it's, that's it. So, yeah, grab your Bibles, open up to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17. We're in the middle of a, a series called Challenged by Jesus, and we're looking at some of the questions Jesus asked particularly those questions that have that tendency to step on your toes. Uh, in today's episode, Jesus actually asked three questions, just bang, 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 one right after another, but they're all uh, posed or focused around one main thought. Yeah. And uh, as Nick mentioned, it's Thanksgiving weekend, and that's actually going to be our theme. You'll look at it that way. Uh, Luke chapter 17, uh, I'll start us by reading verses 11 and 12 says, while he, and that'd be Jesus, was on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. And he entered a village, as he entered a village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him. Father God, we just uh, thank you for uh, the opportunity that we have to gather together this morning. And we pray that um, you would take this time to do your good work in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives. God, I, I know that each person may be coming here with um, different things on their heart, their mind, different burdens. Um, we just pray that you would meet each person at their point of need. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this particular episode, as, as we just read, uh, finds Jesus on his way to Jerusalem, and he's going there for the Passover celebration. But Jesus knew that this particular Passover was going to be far different for him uh, than had ever uh, been in the past. He was going to be betrayed by Judas for a mere 30 pieces of silver. He would be found guilty in a mockery of a trial. He'd be abused by the Jewish leaders and then handed over to the Romans for execution by crucifixion. He would be beaten. He would be whipped. He would then finally be nailed to a cross where he would suffer and die. And Jesus knew all of that waited for him in Jerusalem. 
but he walked a steady path toward the city anyway. I mean, I don't know about you, but oftentimes for me, I think I've talked to others, it's true, you know, as plain, ordinary humans, we think that we'd like to know the future. You ever thought that you wish you knew what the future held? But could you imagine knowing that torture and death awaited you and yet going ahead and embracing it anyway, just walking right into it without flinching? That's what Jesus was doing as we meet him today in this episode. And if you've ever wondered why he would do that, the answer is really quite easy. Jesus did it because he loves you. You cannot, you cannot read the New Testament and miss that fact. Jesus willingly endured the pain and suffering of the cross because he loves you. And we could, you know, turn to about a hundred different verses. That's just a rough estimate, so don't count them up in there. A hundred different verses, uh, you know, that would tell us that. But, but I'll mention just one. In the book of Galatians, the Apostle Paul was, was talking about the fact that we've been crucified with Christ. And that's what allows us, you know, to live this new life, to be transformed. Because the, the old self is crucified and we're a brand new creation and all that. Anyway, he, he finished that thought up by saying... And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. If you ever wanted to know how you could define Jesus Christ, that's it right there. He's the one who loved you and gave himself up for you. And that thought, that truth, is repeated so frequently throughout the New Testament. It's almost like God wanted to make sure you wouldn't forget that point. So it was the love of Jesus that drove him to the cross. It was that same love and compassion that defined his life and his ministry. And that's what the people of Israel had been learning about Jesus during this past three years uh, of his ministry. Uh, he was a loving and compassionate man. And that's uh, the, what sets up today's story. That's the backdrop drop that we have to keep in mind. By the time we, we see Jesus here in Luke 17, he had a well-established reputation uh, for being uh, this person who loved and cared about people. But more importantly, he didn't, didn't just have this mushy love and care for people. He was actually uh, willing to do something to help alleviate the misery and the heartache that so many people endured. He had that reputation of someone who could do something and would do something to meet people in their pain. Wouldn't it be awesome if we had that same reputation? We, as individual believers, we, as a church, if people would say, yeah, those are the people that that care. They'll do something to help you if they can. That'd be a great reputation to have, wouldn't it? That's the reputation Jesus was carrying around with him. And so he's on his way to Jerusalem, and he enters some unnamed village. Now, you know, the tendency in America right now is for people to move 
more and more towards the bigger cities, right? The, these, these huge metropolitan areas are, are growing at increasing rates. Um, and and um, just the opposite was true in Jesus' day. Most people lived in little tiny villages. Uh, uh, just take the area of Hot Springs. Hot Springs is kind of a spread out town, covers quite a bit of area. In Jesus' day, this particular area, it might play host to four or five villages. You know, maybe there'd be a, a village down by Taco John's and, and then another one over behind the plunge, one right up here on the hill and then maybe down the hill and, and across Fall River and up on the other hillside, there could be another small village there and maybe one out by Shopco and then maybe there'd be some wide open spaces for a while and then another group of small villages around some good pasture land or, or a spring or something like that. And, and yet these little tiny villages, many of them were incredibly small. Uh, four or five, ten families uh, grouped together in, in these things. And of course, there were some bigger towns, you know, Bethlehem and Capernaum and, and some of these type of this. And of course, the, the big city of Jerusalem, uh, that type of thing. But most people lived in these tiny villages. And oftentimes, you'll see that as, as you read through the Gospels, Jesus was just entered a village. And there was just one after another, all these little villages that he went to. So when Jesus and his disciples would come through a village, it, it was like a parade, right? I mean, it, 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 it garnered a lot of attention. People took notice. I mean, you not only had his 12 disciples that we think of, but there was, there was a, a much larger group of people that followed Jesus around during his ministry. And then, of course, as soon as the residents of the town noticed what's going on, they're coming out and gathering around. And so you, you would have this, this big happening uh, going on every time he entered a village. And, and Jesus, as he was heading to Jerusalem, was taking this route that took him right along the border of Samaria and Galilee. Okay? And, and so he would have been just south uh, of the Sea of Galilee and uh, heading up the mountains towards Jerusalem. And, and you remember that there was a great deal of animosity between the Samaritans and the Jews. Uh, the two groups did not get along at all. The Jews despised the Samaritans as, as half-breeds and those people who had adulterated the true worship of God. And, and the Samaritans... They hated the Jews just because they hated them. Uh, and, and that just was the way it is. And a good Jewish guy, if he's on his way to Jerusalem, he, he would not even step foot in Samaria so that the, the dust of the ground wouldn't contaminate his feet, even if it meant hours and hours of extra travel to go around. That, that's how much they hated each other. And as Jesus was approaching this village, the, the commotion of this band of people did draw attention, as we mentioned. And in this case, it drew the attention of a group of 10 lepers. Now, leprosy was one of the most dreaded diseases in, in the ancient world. And that pi the Bible term for leprosy is, is actually a very broad term that covered any number of different skin uh, diseases and autoimmune diseases, uh, which, you know, now in our modern scientific uh, life, we've, we've categorized and, and, and put into different diseases. But back then, they were just all lumped together under leprosy. But, but what we consider leprosy is what the modern-day uh, disease called Hansen's uh, disease is. Um, about 150 people every year in the United States get leprosy. About 
250,000 people worldwide get it. So it's still something that's going on even today. But with, you know, early detection and the treatments now available, uh, leprosy is, is easily treatable. Most people get it and they can just go on with their life. Uh, no great interruption. Not so back in Jesus' day. There was no treatment. There was no cure. According to the ancient rabbis, the only thing harder to cure than leprosy was death. As soon as any possible sign of leprosy was spotted on a a person, they were required to go and be examined by the priest. And if he determined that, yes, in fact, this person did have leprosy, then they were declared unclean. And being declared unclean, they were banned from the community, banned from the village, the camp, banned from all normal social contact, banned from all religious ceremonies and celebrations. They were shunned and ostracized and stood outside the community. They lived in isolation and loneliness for the rest of their lives. Uh, Unless one of two things happened. One, if by some case they they found that the disease had gone away, they could go back to the priest and, and show themselves to him and he would examine them and say, yeah, there's no sign, you're cured, you're, you're now clean, you can come back in and they could reintegrate into society. But that very rarely happened. Their only other opportunity for companionship came through other outcasts and shunned lepers. And apparently, that's what had happened in this case because, as we read, there was 10 of them. And they likely found each other out in the wilderness, probably coming from any number of different villages around, most likely had no idea who the other person was until they found themselves outside declared unclean. And they could be together. And since misery loves company, they decided to band together. And since there was 10 of them, it's very likely that they were at various stages in this disease. You know, being, being ripped away from your community and your family, shunned, that was awful. But physically, at least at first, it didn't seem too bad for them. You, you still felt healthy and kind of strong, which, of course, made being ostracized even worse. You know, hey, I feel okay. What's the problem here? But soon after the discoloration of the skin showed up, ulcers would begin to form on your hands and your feet. And these ulcers could not be healed. The disease also attacked the nerve endings, especially in your extremities. And, and so they, they kind of went numb. You just lost all feeling. And, and therefore, a person could injure a hand or a foot and, and not even know it until they look down and there's blood all over the place. Between the ulcers and those injuries, they quickly become infected putrefaction of the flesh would set in, skin, muscle would begin to rot right on the body. They would lose fingers, toes, 
feet, sometimes whole limbs. It also attacks the mucus membranes in the body, so like your nasal passages uh, will get attacked and start rotting, and so it would look, make it look like your nose had fallen off. It would disfigure the face and attack around the eyes. It could cause blindness. It would attack your throat so that your speech became hoarse and raspy, and you would die a slow and painful death. It, it was a horrible disease. And by the law of Moses, the lepers were commanded, as I've already mentioned, to live outside the towns. And and if any healthy person would even start to come near them, they, they had to cover their face like this and shout out, unclean, unclean, so that this person would be warned, whoa, that's a leper, I gotta stay away from them. And there'd be no contact. That's how you identified yourself. I'm unclean. It was a common belief in Israel that leprosy was a curse from God. And if God had cursed you, well, then the people could curse you as well. So it was a fairly bold thing that these ten men did in approaching Jesus. But they did what the law commanded in, in the sense that it says they stayed at a distance and shouted out to them. Now, apparently, they had heard about Jesus. Somehow, the stories of his love and compassion and healing power had come down to them. And so we read in verse 13, and they raised their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Yeah, that was their cry, right? Mercy. That's what they were seeking. Everything they had in life had been taken away from them. And they had no power, no ability to reclaim any of that on their own. It was lost. And they knew and understood if there was any hope at all, that hope was in God. And Jesus had the power of God. So they cried out to him for mercy, but, but Jesus did a bit of a strange thing. Look at verse 14. When he saw them, they're standing off way at a distance over there and they're shouting this out to him. When he saw them, he said to them, go show yourselves to the priests. Really? I mean, that's it? Jesus didn't stretch out his hand like those guys on TBN and say, be healed? He didn't tell them they were going to be healed. He didn't come up and touch them. He didn't give them any indication that they would receive the mercy that they had been begging for. However, they would have known that if a person was healed, the first step that they would take would be to have that verified by a priest. And so at that moment, those 10 guys, they had a really big decision to make. I mean, they could look down their hands, their feet, see that the leprosy was still there. They could see it in each other. They could smell it as you had the rotting flesh. 
going on? They could have seen all of that evidence proving they were still diseased and said, what's the use of going to the priest? Look at us. He'll just kick us out of the community again. He'll just yell at us saying, why are you guys coming here? Or they could choose to obey Jesus and see what happens. And as a group, they, they chose obedience. They, they turned and, and started walking away, heading towards the priest. Now, nothing in the Scripture specifies how far they walked in that leprous condition, but somewhere along the way, and as they continued in this obedience, an amazing thing happened. The rest of verse 14 says, And as they were going, they were cleansed. That's... It's hard for us to feel the impact of that simple statement, isn't it? I, I, I don't know how it, it happened. Was it like they're turning and walking and they're going and at one minute they're trudging along on broken and bloody feet and the next they were whole and healthy? Or, or was it as they took steps, they started getting better and better and as they kept walking towards the priest... They were, we don't know. All we know, it says, is as they were going, they were cleansed. And as incredible as that physical restoration had to be, it meant a whole lot more than just a whole body to those men, didn't it? I mean, we don't know the backstory of any of them. But each and every one of them had a story. Perhaps... A wife left brokenhearted as her husband's driven out of the community. Children who are grieving and bereft of their father. He hadn't been able to hold his wife, tuck his children into bed for months, maybe years. And now all that was restored because of Jesus. He'd been banned from the temple, but now he could once again come together in in corporate worship of God. He could participate in the feasts and the celebration of the community. He could raise his voice in song with the congregation, all because of Jesus. Everything had been restored to him. And, and, And you can only imagine the tears that had to be streaming down the face of all ten of these guys as as they're realizing their life has been given back to them. And and seeing that they were healed, I I mean, their joy uh, just had to erupt in their hearts. And and you can imagine that their pace would have just picked up, man, as they're heading to the priest. I can hardly wait to show the priest because it meant going home. But then we read, Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. Oh yeah, the Samaritans and Jews would have nothing to do with each other until 
they were outcasts and leprous and shunned from society, and then they banded together. Jew and Samaritan. Luke adds that last phrase on. He was a Samaritan, kind of like, can you believe that? Uh, uh, the only one to come and back and give thanks was, was a Samaritan? I mean, who'd have thunk that? And that brings us then to the three-pointed questions that Jesus asked. And Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? Now his question and the impact for us is pretty simple, right? God has done great things for us. Have we remembered to give thanks to Him? Do we display that heart uh, of gratitude the way we should? You know, I, I don't think those other nine guys were bad guys, right? It's not like they were, uh, it's not like they were these, these no-good jerks. They were just so excited about their answer to prayer and what all that meant for them and, and, and what they would get to do that they just forgot, neglected. I'll, 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 maybe later I'll take care of that. And the same thing can sometimes happen in our lives. We pray and pray and when the answer comes, we forget because we're enjoying the answer to prayer so much. Or, or, or maybe we move on to the next thing because, you know, life's tough and there's more than one thing happening. What about this God, we say? You know, King David had a positive word for us in this regard. In Psalm 103, he reminded us, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. For the rest of the service today, that's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to sing a couple of songs of praise and thanksgiving to God, but then we're also going to give you an opportunity to publicly give praise to God. Has God done something in your life where you would want to be the one who turns back and says, I want to glorify God. I want to give thanks to Him. If there's anything that you would like to say, thank you, God, and to share that publicly, to give Him the glory and the honor, we're going to give you a few minutes to do that after we sing these songs.